You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. Jasmine Kenya. You may know me from Cops and Robbers or Hair as Big as My Dreams. I'm a 2D animator and illustrator. Um, I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, but I'm from Philadelphia. And I'm excited to be here with Bonsai Creative on the Make It Podcast. Well, Jasmine Kenya, welcome to the Make It Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And we're excited to have you as well. Uh, You have an interesting uh, career so far and trajectory and you find yourself in these uh, involved in these unique projects and we took notice of it thought let's have a conversation with Jasmine Kenya who we're going to hear a lot more from probably in the next 50 <laughs> 60 years um, so we wanted to be first we we're like how do we how do we you know be first to the blocks with Jasmine Kenya so here we are And I wanted to start with you going back to the beginning. I mean, it's already an interesting path to take to be a 2D animator, but growing up in Philadelphia, I'm curious, was there a moment where you knew you wanted to be an animator or when you knew you wanted to create this kind of art? Well, I always wanted to be an artist. Like ever since I could hold a pencil, I knew that I was just going to be an artist. It's really the only thing I've ever wanted. And when I was a little kid, I used to make these comics and I used to storyboard these little movies and things like that. Um, But I didn't pursue it like seriously until I finished high school. Mm -hmm. And in high school, I I thought I was going, going to go into like editing and film, but then like I realized that I could make any kind of world that I want to make if I could draw it. And that just opened up so many possibilities for me. And I was really drawn to that, like um, that I can make anything happen in animation. Like there's so much freedom with the medium. So we interviewed school, a few animators and I haven't heard anyone put it like that before. That was really nice. Yeah. Sorry to interject, yeah. but go, go ahead. Yeah. Definitely. Um, In high school, I made like my first short film and it was selected to be shown at the UIL Film Festival and placed in state. And then I got to have like that live audience reaction to my work. And when they like cheered for me, it was just the best feeling. And um, I knew at that moment that I had to pursue it. Right. It's this weird thing where you got the immediate feedback loop and Basically, you learn something you might not have known about yourself at the time, which is that you're good at this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then well, you as good as you can be <laughs> at that age. Well, right. But, and, but that's the thing that kind of sticks out to me is like, how did you know what to do? Like, like, how did you know how to write a good story? Is someone in your family in entertainment or writing at all? Uh, no, no. Um, it's just something I've 
just always been drawn to. Um, I don't know. I used to read a lot of books and I just got into film when I was younger and I like the deconstructing a story. Um, yeah. yeah. And yeah. growing up with the internet, you know, a lot of things are way more accessible and learning about film and how a script is written and everything. Um, has always really interested me. I, and we're going to touch a little bit more on influences here in a little bit. Um, I spent all week looking at your Instagram feed and your webpage and saw all your characters. You have created hundreds of characters. Uh, where do you get the inspiration for these, for these characters uh, that you've created? Um, I draw inspiration from a lot of things that I watch. Um, I watch a lot of cartoons and I basically can never just watch something like I, I'm always studying whenever I'm watching something I'm studying mm-hmm. like the composition and just everything about it really and I like absorb I'm constantly absorbing information and I put that out into my work so like my work there's like no consistency if you go back like a few months things look completely different <laughs> yeah well there, I think there's some consistency in, in terms of just the way you draw yeah. people's faces um the roundness in which yeah. you draw their faces um there there are some there is some calling cards i'd say mm-hmm. in the eyes the way you like to draw eyes it almost reminds me of uh the old animaniacs cartoons from the mid 90s and, and late 90s uh power puff girls i get a vibe there as well but then at the same time it's it's like part of it's like mm-hmm. boondocks and you and you get that tossed in as well. Um, do you have a lot of people living inside your head, Jasmine? Um, you know, I guess <laughs> I do. Uh, I'm always thinking about these influences when I draw, um, and it does it does come out. Like some people say, "Oh, I can tell you drew that. I can tell you drew this." Um, yeah, it's just always there. But that's how you come up with your characters, is what you're saying. Like you have these people that live inside your brain. I guess like when I'm trying to draw something, I will be like, gosh, how did they do that on Boondocks? Or I'll look up a character model sheet from like Batman, the animated series or or something like that and take inspiration from it. Yeah. I. By the way, great choice. I love Batman, the animated series. That uh, was amazing. It was almost too serious for kids. Yeah. <laughs> You know, but the kids were watching it. And um, there are some people that like have a hankering for like that sort of Jack Nicholson, like more gregarious type of Joker instead of this this new sort of more serious, more deadly sort of ominous Joker that's out there. But Mm -hmm. I don't know. Where do do you stand on that? Um, I can kind of appreciate both. uh, I did like the new Joker, but, you know, Batman, the animated series is such an influential show. Uh, it's still cited today as like people who are coming out with new shows. They still look at like the model sheets and everything from that show as inspiration. Mm-hmm. It was just so groundbreaking at the time. And so for for the people who are uninitiated, so that, that are in this audience, can you just briefly explain the business of animation and, and how you get hired and how you promote yourself? Let's say someone out there wanted to become an animator. They're fresh out of high school and they want to go into animation or maybe fresh out of college and they want to get work. Yeah. Um, 
Well, there's a few different routes you can go. Right now, I'm in like the advertisement world of animation, um, which is more like vector type uh, art, vector type illustrations and things like that. But you really can go any way you want. Like if you want to work on TV and shows, you just have to like adapt your portfolio to to show an employer that you can do that kind of work. And what really helps me is to look at um, different portfolios from people who are successful or in like the industry that I want to work in. And I kind of mold my portfolio after what they've done. And that's actually a tip like I received out of college is look at people who are doing it, who are successful and just basically do what they do. And you can get pretty far doing that. Also like networking and just being like a friendly, pleasant person will get you farther than a good resume. Honestly, I know people with no resume. That's interesting. You said, you know, people with no resume, no resume that that are getting work travel on good word alone. Because people like working with them and their stuff is good. People hate that though, right? Like, but but it's it's it really is true. Yeah, I think people hate the idea that uh, part of meritocracy is also being likable. Mm -hmm. And I think I think part of the reason people resent it some is because part of being likable sometimes can be you know you can you can shoehorn in. Am I a man or a woman? You can shoehorn in. Am I white or black? You can shoehorn in. Uh, am I attractive or unattractive? And I think we try to like. I think as a society, we're trying to um, balance those skills a little bit. But I think as long as we're human beings, there will always be um, a benefit to being well liked. And whatever goes into that pie of being well liked, you know, yeah, it's always going to be there. It's it, it's really hard to create a society in which that doesn't doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Seinfeld has this great joke, Jerry Seinfeld. He says, "There's no such thing as handsome homeless," <laughs> and I think that speaks a little bit to to what you're saying. It's like, you know, be well liked, be likable, but then also be useful. I think I think too. There's this thing where you do have um, the leash does end at some point, no matter how well liked you mm-hmm. are, if you can't actually do the thing they hire you to do. Definitely. Like it takes you somewhere, but it may, it may not take you, you know, everywhere you want to go. Um, you describe yourself as a 2d animator when you introduced yourself and that, and, and you certainly are an illustrator, but have you ever considered expanding into 3d animation um, and if so, you know, what would that move require? Is it, you know, for those listening, is it, is it more education? Is it a training issue? Is it just just changing software? Um, yeah, a little bit of everything. Uh, software, I mean, Blender is a great resource. It's completely free. Um, you can do 3D and 2D with it. Um, and I'm trying to get more into that 3D realm, trying to integrate the 2D and 3D styles. Mm. Uh, that's a really okay. popular thing right now. But it definitely requires thinking in a totally different space. Why is that? Uh, just like perspective-wise and like thinking of, like when it's 2D, you have basically one angle and you have to make sure it looks good from that one angle. 
But in 3D, it has to look good from every angle. So you have to like, it's really a lot of fine tuning. Is it, I'm assuming it takes, it would probably take three times as much time to do a 3D piece or, or as a 2D or, or is it about the same or what's your perspective on that? It would really depend on what you're trying to accomplish because you can like get a character rigged and animated um, a lot quicker than you can in 2D. But okay, there are some aspects of 3D that are like, there's a kind of a steep learning curve to get over with without 2D and it's 2D is just as long as you can draw it, you know, and it looks good. It's really simple, but 3D is like, I think it's more intuitive to work in that space. How often did you have to draw just out of curiosity to go back a little bit? How often did you have to draw per day? You know, you hear about musicians that have to practice three hours a day minimum to, to be, on par as a professional, how much did you have to draw and practice per day to actually get to this level where your drawings are as amazing as they are? Thank you. Um, I would say it's not really the drawing. Drawing is very important, but really the most important thing that helped me is getting my work in front of people who are really, really good and having them critique it. That's what's really going to push you to the next level. Because if you just release your work to people like a general audience, they'll say, oh, you know, it looks so nice. It's great. Great job. But if you put it in front of like someone who's been illustrating for like 30 years, they'll tell you how to improve it. And that's really going to elevate you. Got it. So it's this idea of the specificity of, of what needs to change and be better combined with the expertise of the person giving you the critique so that you trust the feedback you're getting. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's so important because I think people, especially in your generation, I would say, or I should say this current generation, um, they share, 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 share all the time on the internet. And there's two couple, there's two things with that. So one is you're going to get feedback from people who don't know what the hell they're talking about. Yeah. Right. And and then the sad thing is when you take that to heart, it really affects your self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing is, is no one asked you to share it. Everybody forgets that part, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like every time I see a post where it's like, you shouldn't have shared that. That's what I think in my internal dialogue. Right. Yeah. And it's not that I'm disrespecting the person that shared it or shaming them in any way. It's just that not everything has to be shared, especially if it's not great. True. You know, so, you know, you're like, well, I just got to do my thing. I just got to share it. No, you don't. (laughs) No, you don't. You can wait till you get that expert feedback, get better at the thing you want to share and then share it. That's all. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, yeah, it's that, it's that simple. Um, no, I appreciate that. Uh, your most high-profile work to date is the lovely short film on Netflix, Cops and Robbers. It was part of a series called the the Black Lives Matter Collection uh, on Netflix. The film the film was inspired by spoken word poetry, and you got to basically animate. Uh, someone's poem. Now uh, we, we interviewed Valerie Barnhart earlier this year and 
she did something very similar to really great outcomes. And it looks like you've done the same. I mean, you got to work with 11 other animators and uh, got to work with Timothy Ware Hill and, and Jada Pinkett Smith as an executive director. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess the first question should be, how were you chosen uh, to, to be a part of this? This is, this is incredible. So I actually was um, recommended by a former college professor. Um, she gave them my contact information. And then Timothy and Arnon reached out to me and asked if I wanted to be a part of it. That's incredible. So they, so just the recommendation alone was enough for Timothy to do it? Or did he have to see some of your work first? Um, it looks, well, based on like the first email he sent to me, he said he looked at some of my work um, and liked it and wanted to ask if I would take part in the short film. How has this changed your, your life at all? I mean, this is something that millions of people probably have seen and multiples of millions or more have access and the ability to see, and I hope they run out and watch it. It's, it's not a very big commitment of time. It's a short film, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's brilliantly, brilliantly done. And your part is, is the very first thing they're going to see as well, which is fantastic. How has this, how has this affected your life? Yeah, it's definitely got me more um, exposure as an artist. Um, Really, we were just, when we were making this film, you know, we really wanted to do something positive for like the Black Lives Matter community um, and give back in any way that we could. Uh, But I did get some personal traction from it, especially since I'm, you know, the first thing that you see in the film pretty much. Um, So that's been positive. But really, I just wanted to, to help contribute in any way I could to the cult. That's that's interesting. I want to go. I want to touch on that here in just one second. But I want to go back to the recommendation you got from the professor. You went to Moore College of, of Animation in in uh, Philadelphia. Correct me if I have that name Moore wrong. Moore College of Art and Design. Yeah, Moore College of Art and Design. My apologies, everybody. You. It's in your class as an animator, <laughs> right? So, so how did you get the recommendation from your professor or how do you think you got it um, over your classmates? Um, I think my professor um, appreciated my senior thesis. Yeah, that's all I can really think of is that she appreciated my senior thesis. And thought it was. What was your senior thesis? Oh, on? it was just throwing up. Because that, that begs the question now. It's like, what was the senior thesis? This had to be incredible. Oh, no, no. It was just a short film. Um, it wasn't really fleshed out very well, but I did, I worked really hard on it. And like over like spring break and winter break and things like that, like I had major updates to it when. Um, my my classmates weren't like as diligent as I was with updating their senior thesis. Um, I think that's really what stood out to her. Just a little, she could probably count on you. Like, yeah. like it's like I can give this recommendation of Jasmine and she's not going to let me down or embarrass me, basically. Yeah, that I would get it done. Yeah, kudos to your parents on <laughs> on, on, on develop, helping develop your work ethic on that one for sure. Um, and, and to anyone's parents who have helped develop work ethic and people that last them throughout their lives. Uh, I wish, I wish I had that. Uh, <laughs> um, did you get to meet 
and work closely with with uh, Timothy Warehill or uh, Jada Pinkett Smith? And if so, what was that like? So I met them. I met Tim and Arnon over Zoom, and um, they were basically just explaining the project to me. Um, yeah, they're really friendly. They're really great guys, and I didn't like get to meet Jada Pinkett Smith until the film was completed, and we all we got on a mass Zoom call together, and um, a couple artists were like selected to just say a few words about the film and she was just on the zoom and it was just, it was really exciting. Did she get to, did she interact with you guys at all or did she just sit and listen? Yeah. She said a few words about the film and you know how she was proud to produce it and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And it was actually a shock to us because uh, we didn't know that she was a part of it until the very end and then the credits roll and you see Jada Pinkett Smith and then she just jumped on the Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's cool, man. That's a cool way to, that's a cool way to do that. I, I like that. Kudos, kudos to Jada uh, for that. Um, you know, this, this, this film sort of puts you dead center as an artist on the film into this sort of national conversation regarding social justice and police reform and other political issues. Um, I had two thoughts because I watched the short, I actually watched it at least three times. I'm just going to watch it over and over and over again. I may have watched it a fourth. And it occurred to me that, you know, this is about the murder of Ahmaud Arbery, but the poem itself is more about police, um, you know, police reform, police brutality, police murder. And that's not necessarily how Ahmad died or was killed. Mm -hmm. Right. Like this was, this was a little bit different. Did that ever stick out to you? Did you have any sort of issue with sort of the disconnect there? Did anyone bring that up to you or how do you deal with that? Uh, it wasn't brought up to me. The way I understood it was that um, the the murder of Ahmaud Arbery is what prompted Tim to write and perform this poem. And then like all the other the thoughts and the feelings of everything that black people have been going through just came out in the poem. Um, that's the way I understood it. Yeah. Do you plan to be more involved in, in issues like this uh, or, or different maybe? other important social issues? Um, if so, in, in what way, Wh which ones, um, are top of your mind? Yeah. Um, in any way that I can, I mean, it was, it was really great getting to use my arts to uh, push for this. Um, uh, police reform is a very important issue to me. I haven't really found any opportunities lately to help push for it. Um, but I'll definitely be on the lookout for anything that I can contribute to in the future. Yeah. It's really funny how sort of the ebb and flow of politics are, right? Like, so when we had mm -hmm. um, Trump in office, it was very fervent. I remember being in DC uh, around August of 2020 and the whole city was shut down um, for the most part, but we were still able to get restaurants and walk around, couldn't go to any museums or things like that. But you know, every night there was something happening in the streets that, that had a lot of energy and, and um, pulse to it. 
And yeah. now Biden's in, in office, you hear sort of less and less about these issues. And it almost feels like it's, you know, by design. And, uh, it, you know, we need artists, we need creatives, young people out there who can keep these like yourself that can keep these issues in the in the forefront. But I, I think that's not the only issue anyway. Right. Like, uh, I, I think we need to uh, look at how we can unify our society instead of divide through positive uses and leverage of diversity, equity, equity and inclusion or DE&I, right? Yeah, definitely. That, that might be a place where we can look at it. Instead of using DE&I as a way to divide and make you your primary feature, your race. And I've never been in love with that idea that, that the very first thing you should appreciate and notice about me is that I'm black. Uh, that's never been my thing. I don't know. Is that, is that your thing? I, I'm, I'm not sure. You can answer. You can disagree with me. It's totally fine. Um, well, so I look kind of ambiguous, but I am black. Uh, people, I don't really know what people think when they see me. Uh, people speak Spanish to me the first time they talk to me. <laughs> they think I'm Puerto Rican. Puerto Rican um, so yeah, it's not really I'm, a big thing for me, but I wouldn't have a problem if you know, someone did look at me and say, oh, she's black. But I don't know if that's the first thing you'd want them to know about you. Yeah. Like, I don't know if, I don't know if you'd want that on your headstone, Jasmine. Yeah. It's either I mean, like, honestly, a, it's, a, it's more of a subconscious thing, like unintentional bias thing, I think for most yeah. people. That's right. It's something I would call flippancy, right? Like, like people being flippant where they say something that, is offensive, but they don't even realize it's offensive themselves mm-hmm. because of where they grew up or whatever uh, unconscious bias they 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 might actually have. But when you said that Puerto Rican uh, line that that made me <laughs> it made me think about back when I was nineteen, and anytime I'd get pulled over by the police when I was nineteen, I would overhear them giving uh, my description. And they'd always be like, uh, we have a Hispanic male, six foot three. Yeah. And I'd be like, ah. Oh. <laughs> I know. How, how do I use this to get out of this? How do I use being a Hispanic male to, it never worked. It never worked. I, I couldn't get out of it. Even, even though they had my description wrong. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, but my point is, is I've lived your experience, Jasmine. That is certainly true. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have, um, a massive sort of, um, uh, footprint, if you will, from a creation standpoint on YouTube. And, and we live in this age where everybody wants to be a YouTube star. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, is that by design that, that you're not uh, doing things on YouTube? And and what do you think it is about a lot of your peers? Um, this belief that seems to be out there that fulfillment and meaning can only come through creation and fame. Do you have a take on that at all? Um, I can understand everybody wanting to be, you know, YouTube stars. Um, me personally, I do want to start uploading my work onto YouTube. Um, it's just that like the YouTube algorithm is just so crazy. Like they don't really like having shorter videos. So you'd either need like a really long animation or like a long work in progress, kind of how I made this animation video. How did you, how did you come to find that out? Uh, just doing like 
<laughs> some research and some just reading YouTube comments, you see people post jokes that are like, oh, you're really trying to hit that 10 minute mark and the video is like three hours long, <laughs> stuff like that. Like YouTube doesn't like videos that are shorter than 10 minutes. Right. It, 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 it actually is the case. And it's, it's an interesting monetization model. Um, I wish there were better ones. I, I find that all the models uh, out there underpay creatives. They all, they, none of them pay fair market value for your work. So for example, in YouTube, you need to have an AdSense account. You need to have 10,000 subscribers before you can even, before you can even make one penny. Right. And and then once you start making money off your videos, uh, you really need every video to have 500,000 to 5 million views to, to make a living basically uh, on those videos. And the thing about YouTube that I think most people either don't know or forget about is that more video is uploaded to that platform per day than any one person can watch in their entire lifetime. And, and that, that stat just blows me away. Yeah, YouTube is really a beast and being a YouTuber is honestly a full-time job. So, you know, kudos to anyone who can make that work, but it's, it's very demanding. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. And that's why you can, you, you can have really big dreams and aspirations to be a YouTuber and it looks so simple, but the truth is you have to be uploading video and editing video all day long. Mm -hmm. And, and if you're doing it now, you're super late to the game. So you really have to find something valuable and compelling to say or do, which, which I think to a degree is kind of dangerous. It's like, okay, uh, this one YouTuber jumped off a two story building into a pool. I guess I need to jump off a three story building. Right. And basically I, it feels like it won't be long until we just watch people die on YouTube re regularly, just trying to be a YouTube star. And we, I just, I, as much as I love YouTube because it's a resource for education, it's also, and along with all the other social media, it's also a place that incentivizes um, the, the worst ideas instead of the, the opposite happening, which is being a place where the best ideas rise sometimes. So um, that's, I'm with you. Uh, I, know, I know you love horror. And I know you love Broadway musicals. What's your favorite <laughs> horror film? Oh, my favorite. Oh, my gosh. Um, gosh, I have so many. I'd say one of my favorites is Hereditary. Ooh. Have you seen it? Uh, yes. <laughs> Definitely scary. one of my favorites. Uh, very scary. Uh, I, the story is great. And I love the characters just all around. Really good film for me. The one that scared me the most personally was It Follows. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Terrifying. You just thought of just being followed constantly. There's nothing you can do about it. It's just, oh, gosh, that really got to me. And the soundtrack is, is so good. I listened to the Maybe. soundtrack and freaked myself out. Like, oh, I need to stop this. Okay, I'm writing myself a note. Listen to it i would never have thought to listen to that soundtrack that is awesome yeah, okay really listen good. to it follows soundtrack okay i got it down i've got it as a note i'll i will i will let you know how it sounds how i loved it um what what's some of your favorite broadway musicals 
So I haven't actually seen any, but I do love to listen to them. Um, I really started out listening to like the Disney Broadway versions of like The Lion King and The Little Mermaid. Mm -hmm. And then I moved into like uh, Les Miserables and Hamilton and Miss Saigon and other stuff like that. And I'm still looking for more. Yeah. Have you seen uh, In the Heights yet? Oh, I love In the Heights. I haven't seen it yet, but the original album is really good. Yeah, you should check it out. It's it's impossible to dislike. It, it just makes you smile from the beginning to the end of it. Uh, they 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 did a wonderful job. Also, friend of the podcast uh, and guest on the podcast, Rashina Nash, friend of Bonsai. She's a writer for uh, That's So Raven. Mm. I feel like I feel like you two should get together and make something. That would be incredible, right? Like she writes it, you animate it, <laughs> and then she and then she pitches it to Disney. Wow, that sounds like that sounds like something I need to make happen like yesterday, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Okay, we have to talk about this book. You have a book, and it's lovely. I, I flipped through it. Um, online and your illustrations are, are wonderful. The cover is wonderful. The ratings. I want to, well, I'll talk about the reviews in a second, but the book is called hair as big as my dreams. And it was written by destiny Sierra and you illustrated the entire thing. So I quick question before I go back to the reviews, how did destiny find you? How did she come to hire you as the illustrator? Uh, well, thanks for all the kind words, first of all. But Destiny, we went to college together and we worked together like in the dining hall for a couple years and we just became really good friends. And she had this book, like this like five page version of it that she made for a class assignment. And her professor, you know, took her aside and said, hey, this could be really good if you got like a real because she's a fashion designer mm. so she said yeah if you get like a real illustrator to you know illustrate the book and you just expand it to a full length you know 24 page thing it could be really good and so she just asked me hey can you take this book and i just couldn't say no yeah that's the thing about the reviews that i loved is that the people who bought it said hey i read this to my little niece I read this to my daughter. It really made them feel more confident. And one thing that might not be fully known, but is very intimately known in the black community is that young black girls lack self-confidence. And a lot of it is around their hair and, and sort of this ridiculous thing, right? That you should have a lot of love for and a lot of confidence in, uh, we just don't. And it, a lot of it is the beauty standard that's set forth in America, obviously. But this book really can be a healing um, balm, if you will, for 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 a subset of young ladies that, that need to hear it. Um, can you talk a little bit about what the story is about and, and why you think so many people uh, have found it to be useful as a confidence builder for their children? Yeah, it's more like um, 
like affirmations kind of like the book is just full of just great sayings about care um i think it's a great um like it has a good collection of styles if you need some ideas for what to do with it um but it's just it just says so many things about kinky hair coily hair that i personally i really needed to hear growing up um yeah everything about the confidence booster is really what we were going for was there anything that um, happened in your childhood or, or within your friend group that made you feel less confident about your own hair and your or yourself due to your hair? Um, yeah, you actually, now that you mention it, uh, I remember in um, elementary school, we were like having some kind of performance where we did like Jackson 5. ABC, like we were singing and dancing to the song, and it was like the day of the performance, so we had to come in dressed up like, you know, the 80s, so I asked my mom to blow my hair out into an afro, and when I, you know, I was so happy with it, you know, I was so proud of my afro, but when I got to school, all the kids surrounded me and were just pointing and laughing at me, and I just burst into tears, like it was it was awful, and the teacher had oh, to step no. in, and it was it was a whole thing. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and I bet you looked amazing. <laughs> That's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm biracial, and that that's like goes without saying. I had hair problems basically until I could afford to go get my own haircuts and figure it out for myself. Uh, but my hair was all over the place. Matter of fact, I had such a big fluffy afro in elementary school that I got cast in the school play as Andrew Jackson. <laughs> and I didn't realize how ridiculous even that was to have a black person playing Andrew Jackson yeah. until much, much later in my life. But I, you know, I played it with all my heart and I did the best I, Andrew Jackson I could do. Um, you know, but it was all because my hair was this fluffy sort of like my dad would part my afro. It was this. It was really unusual because he thought it would lay flatter, and it wouldn't lay flat. It would just puff up yeah. in the air. I kind of looked like um, Samuel L. Jackson in Unbreakable, where he was like Mr. Glass or whatever. <laughs> I, don't <know> <laughs> I don't know if you saw that, but you can Google the picture. You could Google the image later. Um, <laughs> Jasmine, what are the two best pieces of advice you've received in in your career so far? And who did they come from? Two best pieces of advice. They had to have come from um, college, like my college professor and like a Q&A we had from some people from a smaller studio. And they said to always keep your portfolio up to date. That is very important. If you're not like active on the Internet and people can't really find you, they just assume that you don't really do work anymore. So you always have to either have like a website up to date or like you have to be on social media like at least once a week just posting things so people know that you're alive, basically. The other piece of advice I got was, um, yeah, I already kind of said this earlier, but to look at the people who are succeeding, like look at their portfolios and try and like emulate like how they just how they uh, put their work out there and how they present it to the world, basically. And then try to emulate that. Yeah, you did mention that earlier. That's, that's very good advice. And, you know, it's funny. I mentioned the whole thing about not sharing 
everything. And I still believe in it, but I also recognize the need to keep yourself up to date as an animator and as an artist, Mm -hmm. because the way your medium works is if somebody basically looks at a piece of artwork and they either stare at it for 10 minutes or they stare at it for 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. But either way, once they've consumed it, they've consumed it and it's on to the next. Right. And so you have to find a way to stay current and in front of them with new and interesting things all the time, I'm sure. So that, that sounds like very good advice. Um, Jasmine, which creatives do you most admire and want to emulate? And, and what do you think they do from a technical or skill standpoint that makes their work stand apart? Gosh, I have a few. I have a few of my favorite artists. I have Marcus the Visual, who's an amazing illustrator, and he makes these beautiful comics. Um, and he's so fast. Like, his work ethic. I saw him like speed paint, but it wasn't even a speed paint. It was just how he normally works. And he is just so fast. Like he's a master at illustration. Um, and I also really love Tonico Pantoa, who's an animator and he has a variety of clients and he has some like classes online. Um, and his work is just like for one person to have done it, it looks really incredible. Like his, his work ethic is also just crazy good. And then I, there's by chance, like, by, by chance, could you spell that? Tonico Pantoa, mm-hmm. T-O-N-I-K-O-P-A-N-T-O-J-A. Perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah. And then there's the masters like Aaron Blaze, who's a master Disney um, animator. And he has like free resources on YouTube, but he also has his website, Creature Art Teacher. And he has like brushes for people who use Photoshop and he has different classes for how to draw um, all kinds of stuff. And his stuff goes on sale like several times a year for anyone looking for resources for him. That's incredible. I appreciate that. Creature Art Teacher. Is that right? Yeah. CreatureArtTeacher.com. Perfect. Yeah. We'd love to get those resources. We'll post that up on the show notes and put that on the site for anybody who wants to, to, um, visit that and take advantage of that resource. If you had one month, Jasmine, to teach someone how to be an animator, what would be the first three things you teach them? If I had one month to teach someone how to be an animator, they have to know figure drawing, which is just drawing the human body from every angle, really loose, really fast, just getting used to how everything connects and how everything moves together. It's really an essential skill for animation. Then I'd also teach them the 12 principles of animation because that's like those rules, they really make your characters feel alive instead of just like a drawing on paper or whatever. Like they really feel Mm -hmm. like they're living if you follow the 12 principles. The last thing I teach them is basic composition or at least how to place your characters in a scene. Um, this is something, it's easier to learn sooner rather than, <laughs> than later. It's something I'm still learning that I kind of struggle with a little bit. But I feel like if you get it early, like you can be set up. So to, to go over that, number one is figure drawing. Mm-hmm. Number two is the 12 principles of animation. Yeah. And number three is composition. Is there a resource out there? where we can go and look up and research the 12 principles of animation? Yeah, there's an entire series uh, on YouTube, 12 principles of animation and plenty of examples 
Um, and also Tonico Pintoa has some examples of that too. Got it. So just YouTube and search 12 principles of animation and it will come right up. Yes. And for figure drawing, you can practice that for free on line of action. Just search for line of action and you can just draw various models and all kinds of poses and faces and hands and feet. It's, it's brilliant. That is awesome, awesome, awesome. So we'll get all that put in the show notes and share that with everyone out there who's interested in being great like you. And this has been such a fun and great time. I can't believe an hour has already gone by. This has been um, so much fun, so educational for me. Uh, What's next for you, Jasmine? Uh, Are you going to do a short film? Do you want to work on an animated series? What's next for you in your in your idea bank of yours? Um, I do want to work on my short film. I'm finishing up some client work at the moment, but once that's done, I really want to dive headfirst into my short film and get it put out there in some festivals and things like that. What's your uh, short film about? So it's kind of crazy, but it's <laughs> my favorite in the future. And it's about uh, this girl who's like eight years old and she's a bounty hunter and it's the future, but it's like society has turned back into the wild, wild West. So, Uh yeah. So dystopian, you have a dystopian eight year, uh, you have an eight year old bounty hunter in a dystopian world. Yeah. Hmm. Feeling, feeling like vibes of Hannah in there, you know, the show Hannah and Animated could be really cool because you can do so many different things with that. And then you can also do it sort of for a different audience. You can make it for kids and it have a different flavor and vibe and you can make it for adults and it have a completely different flavor and vibe and sort of range of access, if you will. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'll definitely keep my ear to the ground for that, as I know everyone in the audience listening will, will as well. Jasmine? Can you tell us where we can find you on social media, on the internet, and maybe where we can see some of your work? Yeah, definitely. You can find my work on my website, jasminekenya.com. I also have um, an Instagram. The link to that is on my website, but it's Jasmine Kenya Artwork. Yeah, that's about it. Perfect. All right. Well, you heard it first. Jasminekenya.com is a great place to go, by the way, to see it. And uh, love your stuff on Instagram as well. well. We'll end on this. I saw that you made a wonderful sketch for your dad for Father's Day of, of him and your whole family. And I thought that was wonderful. And I just thought, uh, you're so good at it. What would it take for for you to agree to do a sketch of me and my, my business partner, Nick? Oh, <laughs> oh just you, a can, good can, like Can you sketch us? Yeah, just a good reference image. Okay, so if I email you an image, you'll do a sketch of me and Nick, and then I can show that to the world. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) It is on. That is awesome. (laughs) I can't wait to do it and and send that to you. Uh, Jasmine, uh, you're just a pleasure um, to talk to and and a very warm soul. I, I can't thank you enough for joining me on the podcast and having a conversation with me and best of luck in all that you do going forward yeah thanks thanks for having me it was great anytime and uh hope to talk soon don't be a stranger all right thank you all right jasmine be good bye bye
You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative and the show will pop right up. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we're trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please visit www.bonsai.film and click Contribute. Contributions start at only $5 monthly. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. You can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film and you can follow me, Chris, on Twitter at Flaming Your Heart. That's F-L-A-M-E-I-N-U-R-H-E-A-R-T. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on services to explore a variety of offerings from keynotes and panels to pitch readiness assessments and so much more. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.